Good morning. So my name is Chris Sturgis, and I'm an elder here at church. Um, but my day job is as an attorney at the Public Defender's Office. And in that job, I only deal with clients that have mental illness. So every single one of my clients has some type of mental illness. And again, as part of that, I help run what's called mental health court in district court. And Tuesday of this week, we were having our mental health court staffing where we review how everybody's doing in the program and then we vet people who have been referred. So, you know, they may not get into the program. So we're checking to see and, and we're vetting those. And at some point in the vetting process, we either accept or we reject these people. So there I am Tuesday. And as most meetings do, I'm, I'm at this meeting and it's lasting way longer than it should. And suddenly, thanks to this wonderful technology that we now have, my phone buzz. I got a text. And I'm thinking, who could it be? Who, who would it be? For me, texts are still kind of exciting. It's like when you used to get a birthday card in the mail. You know, I get a text. This is cool. But my first thought was, is there any way I'm going to be able to use this to get out of this meeting? Well, turns out it was Pastor Tom. And let me read you our text. Tuesday, 1.29 p.m. Just wanted to see if there's anything you need, research, etc., for your message this week. Thank you for taking this on. And I thought for a moment, and I texted him back. I said, I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> <clears throat> and he texts back right away, are you available for a quick call? I said, not until 3. He said, okay, no problem, call you after 3. And I said, that sounds good. And then he sent a quick text saying, you know, we spoke last Tuesday night about Tim originally going to preach, but he wasn't going to be able to. And you said that you'd be able to help and come up with something. Now, at our last elders meeting, Tom and I did talk. But my recollection, after I found out that Tim wasn't going to be able to preach, is I said, let me know if you need any help. Tom's recollection was, problem solved, I'm out the door, I don't have to worry about that. Fortunately for all involved, he did text me and reached out, so I actually realized that I was supposed to be here today. And here I am. So we've been talking about families in this sermon series, and clearly communication can be a big issue in families. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one, especially of us men, who have an issue with communication in the family. But it is so vital. And if Stacy were up here and not downstairs, she would give an example probably of communication between men and women. We get home from work, and I'll ask her how her day was. And she will tell me for about 20 minutes. And that's fine because I'm really interested. And then she'll be nice to me and she'll go, how was your day? And I'll go, fine. And I think I've said the same thing. I think I've said the exact same thing she did, I just said it quicker. <laughs> so communication is something that's vitally important. What other attributes are important to making a great family? Sorry? Spending time with people, absolutely. What else? Listening, Listening. absolutely. What else? Understanding. Understanding. 
Absolutely. You know, those are all great attributes. And so here we are today in First Christian Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico in October with our church family. And I think we have the same attributes at home, and we likely bring those to the church as well. And I know that you are my family because Jesus says this in Matthew 12. And he says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mothers and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, brothers and sisters and mothers, look around this room. And I mean really, look around. Everybody take a look. Do you know everyone? What they do? Where they work? What they need? The prayers that are on their heart this morning? And if not, why not? You know, at FCC, we've made a commitment to small groups of various kinds, whether on Sunday morning in a Sunday school class or throughout the week, might be at a Bible study or um, some other group. And if you go to one of those, you can get some of those questions answered in a smaller, more intimate setting. might be a little intimidating to walk up to people you don't know and just go, hey, what's on your heart? But at a small group, you can start to get to know people more intimately. You can find those answers and be more connected to the church family as a whole. So if you're not in one, I'd encourage you to get in one right away. You know, we do have some amazing groups and ministries here at first already. We heard about WizKids. We have children's ministry going on downstairs, an incredible youth ministry. We have a young adult group that meets Wednesdays at the Penner's house. And that's so vital because you get kids right out of high school when, when they're tending to drift away from the church. And the Penners have made it their ministry to make sure those kids don't. And we have a reawakening and blossoming women's ministry again here at First Christian, and I am so thankful for that. But it takes more than programs just to build a great church. It takes great people, great families, and great homes to build a really great church. You know, we've built and we continue to build here at FCC, but hopefully we're continuing to build it by building up people and families and homes. And if we do that, then we're building as a byproduct a great church, but everything we do is for the glory of God. Today we'll take a look at that through an example of people who appear really briefly in the New Testament. Aquila and Priscilla. You know, I believe that God intends for our church life to be a family life. Now, that doesn't mean we necessarily have family at home, but that this family life is to be shared. The Bible teaches us that it's ideal for entire families to love and serve God together. And in Acts 16, in the story of the Philippian jailer who's converted, Starting at verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas are in prison. They've been arrested, they've been put in prison, and they are singing, and they are praying. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now I can tell you from my personal experience with my clients that what happens next in this story is not what would happen out at the Metropolitan Detention Center. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The prisoners stayed. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Not just you, but your whole household. And if you read further into Acts 16, that's exactly what happened. Timothy, a protege also of Paul, came from a godly family. He had a godly mother. And so we have examples of that in the Bible. But the thing is, it doesn't matter where you came from. You might have come from a godly family, a family that's been in the church forever. Or you might have walked in and off the street today to find out more about God. God is meeting you where you are. Our job then, if we've come to the Lord at whatever point, is as a family, pass along godly heritage to our children and our grandchildren. It's our job to train up children in the way they should go. With Achilla and Priscilla, we see a married couple working and worshiping and serving God together. I think there are three things that make for a great family. It must be a saved family, it must be a serving family, and it must be a sanctified family. Priscilla and Achilla were living in Rome, and when I was looking at things, I, I found that Priscilla is a Roman name, it's of Roman origin, and Achilla is a, a Jewish name. So we have a couple from mixed backgrounds. And as we know, that's not always easy, and it certainly brings a lot of stress to a relationship, whether it's a, a mixed couple race-wise, or, or maybe two different denominations of the church, or maybe you're just from different places. There are stressors that build up in that relationship. So they are here with these stressors already. And then, as luck would have it, they're kicked out of Rome as the emperor kicks all the Jews out of Rome. So in addition to everything that's already in this relationship, they are kicked out of their home. Talk about stress. You know, it's hard to move even when you want to, but they were literally kicked out of their home by force. A family facing stressful times. Fortunately, we don't have to deal with any of that today. No stress around here. We don't have to worry about that. And as you know, I'm joking. Um, stress and tension are huge parts of what all of us deal with today. We have work. Many families, both spouses work. We have time commitments. Who's going to get who here? Did we forget anybody? Is everybody at the dinner table? Did we get all the kids home? And financial pressures to deal with. And sometimes, even remembering you're supposed to preach on Sunday. <laughs> And as many of us who are parents know, it doesn't really get easier as our kids get older. You kind of would think it would, and it doesn't. 
And in case you're not stressed out enough already as a parent or a grandparent, let me add a little bit to your list, and you're welcome ahead of time. I came across this study as I was preparing for today. If you have a child or a grandchild who's 14 today, by the time they graduate, two-thirds of their class will have used drugs. One in five will be an alcoholic by the time they're 30. Two in five will have consumed five or more drinks at one setting. 20% will use tobacco daily. 46% of babies born out of wedlock will be to kids their age. One-third of all abortions will be performed on girls their age. One-half will be sexually active. And the second leading cause of death for kids their age will be suicide. Folks, Satan is at work. But the good news is, God is at work. And he works through us. We need a revival in our families. We need a revival in the home. And we need mom and moms and dads and grandparents who are serious about serving God. And our children need to see it. They need to see when we go out and do stuff. And men, if your kid asked you how your day was and you did anything for the glory of God, you make sure you don't go, it was fine. You tell them. If you're a part of Family Promise, you let your kids see when you're going to work on it. If you're a part of WizKids, you tell them what you're going to do. And you tell them why you're doing it. And at this point, ladies, if you want to tune out for a couple minutes, I feel the need to just talk to men here for a second. Guys, the revival that we need, and frankly, the problems listed in the statistics I read, they start and end with us. I'm not saying men cause all the problems. But if we are to raise up godly families and to lead them, we have to take the blame when things aren't going well. And things aren't going well. But at least that's been going on for a long time. And I'm assuming that everybody has, as a New Year's resolution at some point in time, I'm going to read through the Bible. So probably everybody, when they do that, at least makes it through Genesis 3, which is where this happened. Even though we know that Adam was with Eve when the, when the serpent tempted them, God asked then about eating from the tree, which was forbidden. And Adam says, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. I believe that is the first recorded instance of somebody being thrown under a bus. But in all seriousness, men, what is our role? Paul tells us in Ephesians exactly what it is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Now that's a high bar, but it's what we're called to do. Not only for our wives, but as an example to our children and grandchildren and those around us. So back to Priscilla and Aquila. They certainly are a family here with stress and pressure, but God also made them one of providence. They were kicked out of Rome and they were heading east to Corinth. And Paul was leaving Athens 
also heading to Corinth. And finishing in verse 2 of Acts 18 and going through verse 3, we read that Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Now, as an aside, I'd like to give you a little argument here. If you ever run across non-Christians who think the Bible is antiquated and it has antiquated things, use this story. Because it says they were tent makers by trade. Doesn't say that Aquila was a tent maker and he and Paul hung out together and made tents and the little woman Priscilla was out, you know, cleaning the house. They were tent makers. Aquila and Priscilla, this young couple under stress, worked together as well. And we know that never causes any more stress. So that's the family we have that Paul runs into in Corinth. Now, as the three of them worked, they must have talked. And I'm sure knowing Paul, since he seems to talk a lot, we can figure out what he would have talked about. Probably his favorite sports teams, wanting to get away with his friends on the weekend, maybe go drink and go fishing. Maybe what his favorite reality TV show was. Or perhaps, as we know and as Paul was wont to do, he shared his story. The story of transformation and glory. The story of telling this young couple, I wasn't always Paul. My name used to be Saul. And I persecuted this group of Christians. And there's a lot in the history that says the reason that the Jews were kicked out of Rome is because these Christians were stirring things up. So you have Paul there talking to them. And he begins to talk about Jesus and his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. And can you imagine just sitting there taking this all in? They must have been mesmerized. And as we know from a few more sentences in the New Testament, their lives were transformed by it. Well, folks, we, we have the whole story too. Are our lives transformed as well? You know, that's how it works. If, if we obediently will follow God, God will cross our paths with others who need him, not us, but need him at just the right moment in time. Aquila and Priscilla don't appear in the Bible because they're great tent makers, nor by coincidence or by accident. They're here as an example of becoming a great family despite the odds, because they were kicked out of Rome, and they happened to be in Corinth at the same time as Paul. And they were saved by the message that Paul delivered to them. They became a great family, but they were only great because it changed their lives. So we have a saved family. The second thing is a serving family. After this introduction to Aquila and Priscilla, basically all we hear about them going forward is they're serving God together. And years later, Paul writes to the church in Rome in chapter 16, 3 and 4 of Romans, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Wow, I kind of wonder what they did. And it never really says. But they go from tent makers to somebody who saved Paul's life 
and to which all the Gentile churches owe their very existence. Folks, we're a Gentile church. So what happened to them? And we never hear the specifics. Well, clearly they begin worshiping and serving God, teaching and helping others and winning souls. And really, isn't that exactly what all of us should be doing once we're saved? I mean, our main business, regardless of our occupation or vocation, should be serving God. And when our main business is serving God, you never know what may happen. And you also may never see it. As I was doing a little, um, I guess, study for this, I came across an article that I think kind of illustrates this. How many people have ever heard of Edward Kimball? Yeah, me neither. Um, He was a Sunday school teacher, and in 1858, he taught teenage boys. Now, despite what my kids might tell you, at one point in time, I was a teenage boy. And I know they're not always the easiest to deal with. But Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, decided that he would visit each one of his boys at home to make sure they were okay and to see if they had been saved yet. And one of those visits, he visited a student named Dwight. And because of Edward Kimball, Dwight was saved. And by 1879, Dwight was an evangelist. And he was doing crusades. And at one crusade, there was a man named Frederick who actually was already a small-town pastor, but he'd lost his fire and his passion for Jesus and his job. But when he heard Dwight speak, Frederick's passion was reignited, and he became a world-renowned evangelist. Everywhere he went, people would come to see him. And Frederick's ministry eventually brought him to America, And at a crusade one day, a man named Wilbur came forward, and he was also saved, also going into the ministry. Wilbur hired a guy named Billy to help him for a crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's not the Billy you're thinking of. Billy preached, and he was very successful, and they decided to have another crusade. But this time, Billy wasn't available. So they hired somebody named Ham. And at Ham's crusade, another Billy came forward and was saved. And that Billy was Billy Graham. How many millions of lives were touched because Edward Kimball made it a point to make sure his teenage boys in his Sunday school class were okay? You may be on a path where you don't think God is doing something great with your life. I'm telling you, God has a plan. And I can only imagine Edward Kimball in heaven today meeting with Billy Graham and both of them knowing the connection that they have. All of it because there was a businessman and a Sunday school teacher who decided it's important for me to make a connection. You know, all of us are going to pass down a heritage to our families and, and to those we reach. So what will yours be? And aren't we thankful for the examples like Priscilla and Aquila? I mean, we barely hear of them, tent makers by trade, but they understood that serving God was their main business. A great family is saved and is serving. And finally, great families 
are sanctified or, or set apart. The church, our church, our family, isn't the building. It's the body of believers. I mean, for the first few hundred years after the church started, there weren't buildings. There weren't churches. It was only us. And churches would meet in people's homes. Is our dwelling, our home, a church? Is it set aside to do the will and the business of the Lord? And as I wrote that down, I walked through our home, and i got to tell you, I love our home. But I had to answer that not all of it is set aside to do the will and the business of the Lord. Our highest calling is to raise our children, to devote ourselves to our marriage and our home. And remember, as we looked around earlier, we are family because of the blood of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, is there anything in your home or my home that's unworthy of serving the Lord? You know, my hope today is that we can all have a saved home and a serving home and a sanctified home set aside for the master's use. There really can't be anything more glorifying to God. I was talking about my meeting as I began, and sometimes we're called to accept or reject potential clients into that program. And that got me thinking. I began to think there's another meeting that goes on constantly. And it happens at a three-sided table. And there's God and the Holy Spirit in Jesus. And each day, God, who wants a personal, intimate relationship with each of us, picks up my paper. And he goes, Chris Sturgis, he's not making the progress I would have liked. Sinning when he knows better, wasting time on the ways of the world, I, I've made him for so much more. And then the Holy Spirit, who's with me all the time, intervenes on my behalf. He intercedes and he says, but he's trying, I know he's trying most of the time. But then my God, the creator of everything, who wants a relationship with me, looks over at his only son sitting at the other side of the table. And tears fill his eyes as he sees him battered and torn, still as he was on the cross. All of human sin carried in his still broken body, the stripes of my failings across his back. And despite all that, God marks me as accepted. What a gift we've been given. If any of you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I would encourage you to make today the day. We've got ministers here, we've got elders here, we've got people who will make sure that we use this baptistry. It's got water in it. Honestly, I don't know how cold it is, but there's water in it. We'd like nothing better than for you to become part of our family. And we are so thankful that you're here. Father God, we thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have that relationship with you. We ask, Lord, that you would make us strong with our families, that you would guide us in everything we do, so that every action, every minute of our day brings glory to you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us, by giving us your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.